Hey everyone, it's Candace Eisner back with you again this week. And uh, this week, let's talk about everybody's favorite time of year, tax time. Welcome to Life Beyond the Massage Table, a podcast for massage therapists, or really anyone who works in health and wellness. I'm here to help you take a look at your business and practice in new ways, to think outside the box, and to shift gears from the same old stuff that isn't helping you build the life and the business that you really want. Let's get started. Well, hello again. I hope you guys are all having a really wonderful week wherever you are in the world and whatever time of year it is when you're listening to this. So before we launch into today's topic, I wanted to say a little bit of something about the current events going on, especially since yesterday was March 12th, and I am here in Ontario, and a lot of stuff is happening with COVID-19 or the coronavirus. It's really something that's on everyone's minds right now. Um, The World Health Organization just declared it a pandemic a few days ago. I know some of you work in places where there's high rates of infection, even higher than here in in Toronto where I am. Um, But even if you're somewhere that only has a few cases or even no cases right now, there is still a lot of fear and stress in the community about it. I've seen a lot of things on social media uh, where some people are reporting that like their clients have started to cancel appointments because of it. Um, I know here in Ontario, because the school board, the public school board has said that school will not resume now for three full weeks. That means parents don't have childcare necessarily. That means that people are going to be canceling appointments that they might have with you because they have nowhere to put their kids, right? It's like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place kind of situation. And I know some of you are buying stronger disinfectant for your offices, which can be really costly, especially right now, because there's a lot of price gouging going on out there. Um, I know of one local spa that uh, the owner has gone on Instagram multiple times over the last few days, or I think just the last two days, and she said, like, look... I'm just trying to buy my normal amount of Clorox wipes and like hand sanitizer that we always have for safety reasons. And I can't find it anywhere because people are hoarding. And when I do find it, I'm finding it at like triple or quadruple the price. I need some help here. And she's not the only one. There's a lot of businesses that are struggling right now with this, whether again, it's because they can't find their disinfectants. They can't find the proper things they need in order to operate safely at their business and protect the workers as well as like the clients getting work done, you know, whether it's like your nails or your hair or or a massage or physiotherapy or whatever it might be, you know, or it's, you know, people are struggling because clients are canceling, whether it's because they're worried about coronavirus or because, you know, of the issue, like I said, where uh, they don't have childcare or they don't have, or they need to be, say, with uh, someone who is ill or they've Uh, been put under quarantine even because there's a suspected COVID-19 at their office or whatever. And now all of a sudden everyone's under quarantine or just whatever, you know, there's lots of situations going on. And I know we small business people really struggle with this stuff. I mean, I've even seen a slowdown in my business. Um, And as some of you know, I've been looking for a part-time job in, uh, in fundraising. And right now I'm not, I'm not doing any of that looking at all. 
And that's because I don't want to be traveling on public transit. I don't want to be shaking people's hands, you know? It seems like such a silly little thing, but it's important. So while I absolutely don't want to downplay the implications on our health system of this virus, this, you know, I'm all for flatten the curve, and I don't want to spread panic. I don't want anyone listening to this to go out and go like, oh my God, I need to stockpile. I need to do this. Like, I don't want anyone to panic. I want us all to just be smart about this issue. But really why I'm saying it on this podcast, because like, why the heck am I talking about it? Well, really, it's just, I want you all to know that I see you. I hear you. I know that this is affecting a lot of your businesses. I know it is hard right now. I wish good health for you and your family. I hope if you're in a situation where you're not sure, you know, what childcare the heck you're going to have for your kids for the next few weeks. Like, are you going to have to cancel all your clients because you don't have childcare? You know, I, I just, I see you. I hear you. I know it's hard right now for we small business people. I hope we can all band together and get through this together, help each other out, share supplies, don't hoard, all those types of things. And yeah, that, you know, and and again, I wish you all good health. I wish your family's good health. Uh, I hope we all stay safe out there. And um, yeah, let's hope that this this issue, the COVID-19 coronavirus, you know, gets under control soon. Um, There is uh, good news in the media as of yesterday evening that they've, you know, isolated the virus and they're, they're working very strong, you know, just like literally here in Toronto at Sunnybrook Hospital and their research facilities. They're, they're getting closer and closer to a vaccine. So let's hope that, uh, let's hope that we can, we can uh, get back to normal business, whatever that means very, very soon. So with that kind of slightly sad note, but I did feel it needed to be said, you know, instead of ignoring the elephant in the room. And on that sad note, let's talk about everybody's favorite time of year, tax time. We all love tax time, right? It's the best. Okay, before you all lynch me, especially since we're just talking about something pretty serious. I am kidding. I know that tax time is not anybody's. Well, maybe it's some people's favorite time of year. It's certainly not my favorite time. I don't even think accountants love tax time because it's stressful for them because they have like so much work. Um, But it is a time of year we all have to deal with like it or not. It is something that we have to look at. It's just the reality of running a business. Um, And a couple of years ago, I did share an episode on sort of tax tips for health or wellness professionals. Um, some things to know if you're self-employed. And that episode was actually pretty popular. I got a number of emails about it, comments about it. People um, were looking for recommendations for local accountants, just different stuff uh, like that. So I thought that, you know, since it's tax season again here in Canada and in the U.S., um, this would be a timely topic to talk about. Uh, speaking of that, by the way, um, a couple things. First is that the rest of you who are outside Canada or the U.S., I honestly don't know how you guys file your taxes or even if you do have to file taxes, like in the same way that we do, the same sort of system that we have in Canada and the U.S. It's a very similar system in both countries. It's not exactly the same, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of similarities to how we sort of file our taxes. Um, so I'm actually curious, if you're outside of Canada or the U.S., how do you guys file your taxes? Uh, you know, if you head to my Instagram and comment on the, the post for this episode or just comment on any post, uh, I don't care, or DM me. Um, I'm very curious. How do you guys file your taxes? Is, is the deadline, you know, in the spring, like April-ish? 
Is it some other time of year? Like, how's that work if you're outside of, of uh, you know, Canada and the U.S.? So I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, so this episode, unfortunately, is going to be a bit more focused towards my Canadian and American audience. It may also apply to other areas. So, you know, keep that in mind, maybe, as you're listening. And the second thing I want to mention before we really launch into this topic is let me remind you all that I, of course, am not an accountant, okay? I've been self-employed since 2006, actually technically since a little bit before that because I was um, I was a tutor at school for massage therapy students. That was one of the things that I did and that was technically self-employed even though you were working through the tutoring office at uh, the school that I went to. But it was all, anyway, like, let's not go down that tangent. But yeah, I, as my main job, as the main thing I've been doing, I've been self-employed since 2006. And that's the year that I graduated school and became a massage therapist. So I'm speaking from that experience, as well as advice I've gotten from others who are self-employed, as well as the experiences from others that are self-employed that, you know, that I've, I've absorbed, so to speak. And as well, both my parents worked in finance for their entire careers. Both of them are retired now, but... Uh, I am probably more financially uh, comfortable in, I mean, in terms of like understanding the numbers and being comfortable filling out tax forms than the average person. But again, that does not make me an expert by any stretch of the imagination. So remember, I'm not a CPA when I'm giving you guys these tips. So if you have questions specific to your specific tax situation, or you have concerns about what you're allowed to claim or not to not allowed to claim, or you're kind of listening and you're going, I'm not sure if what Candace is talking about actually applies to me. Do make sure you actually talk to an accountant, okay? Just to get their, you know, just to get their information, just to clarify things. The podcast here is meant to give you a start or food for thought on this whole taxes topic and how to, you know, how to prepare for taxes, how to file your taxes. So, okay, let's get started. So the first thing I want to mention is, are you actually properly designated? Because this can have major implications on your tax situation and also on your job in general. But what do I mean by designate? Like, you're like, Candace, what are you talking about? Designated? I thought we were talking about taxes. Well, we are. So first off, for those of you who do work 100% solo, like you are self-employed, you you don't report to anyone else, you know, you rent an office or just you are fully 100% responsible for your business. Maybe you run it from home, whatever. Maybe you have a mobile business. You are designated properly. And like, unless you're filing your taxes weirdly or something, but you're, you're designated properly. You are self-employed. Okay. 100%. But for those of you who work from other spaces, we start to get into some gray areas. And this is where the problems of not being properly designated can arise. So for, let me give you some examples. If you're an RMT who rents a room or you're working on a contractor basis, maybe you have a percent split, maybe you have like a, a straight rent, whatever it is, but you're a quote unquote contractor to a clinic. That's a bit more of a gray area. Or if you're a yoga teacher who teaches group classes at a studio, so you're not doing privates, you're not like renting a room at a studio to, to teach your own classes that you have to find your own students for, like you're coming in and teaching a class, that can be a gray area. Or if you're a physio who works on contract to a hospital, 
that can sometimes also be a gray area depending on how things are set up. Any scenario where someone else owns the major business and you're working under them as some sort of contract, some sort of like negotiated agreement, which by the way, if you don't have some sort of contract agreement, like on paper, you need to get on that. Do not work somewhere without a contract or like, and you know, something signed on paper that says what the terms are. Um, But that's another topic for another podcast. I won't go down that rabbit hole too much. I have a tendency to do that as you people who've been listening to a while know. But that's really important thing for you to know is that if you don't have a contract, make sure you get one. Um, But that aside, if you work in someone else's space, you are kind of operating into some gray areas. And it actually may be very clear. But for a lot of you, it's not so clear. So here in Canada and in much of the U.S., businesses like to hire health and wellness professionals as quote-unquote contractors because it makes it easier for them. They don't have to go through payroll and taxes and all the other business implications of having employees. Instead, they simply hire somebody on quote-unquote contract and the contractor has to do all that stuff. So that sounds easy, that sounds great, that sounds awesome, right? But Here's, and it may be exactly what you're used to. So you might be like, well, Candace, well, like, I don't get it. Like, what's the problem? Everybody does this. Well, here's the issue. There's nothing wrong with being a contractor for somebody, okay? But the problem comes in when they want to treat you like an employee. And for a lot of people working as a contractor, they simply don't question this like they should because either because they're used to being an employee, like they came from the situation where they worked in retail or they worked in an office or whatever, like just a normal like employed job, you know, and all all of a sudden they're self-employed healthcare or wellness or fitness provider, like a massage therapist. And they're now in the situation where they're a quote unquote contractor, but you know, they're the place that they're working wants to put a whole bunch of boundaries on them. And they're like, well, that sounds fine to me. I'm normal. That's normal. I'm used to that. That's fine. But if you are truly a contractor, they don't actually get as much say as they maybe would like to or should. So here's some things to look at to see if you're properly designated as a contractor or an employee or if you should be designated as an employee, because these things have major tax implications, okay, on how much the business should be paying for taxes and how much you should be paying for taxes and what types of like, should you be getting a T4 as we call them here in Canada? I don't know what they're called uh, in uh, the US, but should be you be getting like that form that says how much you were paid as an employee? Or should you be tracking all your own expenses and giving that to your, you know, to your accountant at the end of the year, uh, because you're truly a contractor, right? This is major implications. So things to look at, like I said, include who sets the work hours. Now, obviously, there's going to be some sort of reasonable negotiation here, right? Like, if the business is only open during certain hours and you're contracting out to them, they're probably not going to want you to show up at off hours or you may not even have a key. Like I worked at places where I was a contractor and I didn't have a key. So obviously there's going to be some boundaries there, but are they actually setting your hours for you or are you able to negotiate that? Which days you're going to be working and which at what time, you know? But if you can't negotiate that at all, like they've, they've set your hours and there's no negotiation whatsoever, or they put demands on you like saying you have to be there even if you don't have clients, 
or they start asking you to do extra things that have absolutely nothing to do with your your work. And it's not just a matter of say, you know, um, say you work as a contractor to a massage clinic and literally there's just three of you that work there and you all pitch in to help each other answer emails, answer the phone, stuff like that. That's different. That's everybody volunteering to pitch in to help each other out, right? That's different. But if it's like a bigger clinic where they've got a receptionist and they've got, you know, all the, you know, like, like there's sort of designated, uh, times and stuff. And then all of a sudden they're telling you, well, no, you need to come in and you need to be cleaning your room and you need to be doing the laundry and you need to be doing these things. And meanwhile, you're not being paid for any of that. Like they're not like paying you as an employee to do that stuff. No, that's that's a red flag. Just because you're a contractor doesn't mean you have to do all these extra things because that's if they want somebody to do all those things, they should be paying you like an employee. Here's another uh, thing to think about for you guys. Do you have any sort of exclusivity agreement with the clinic? As in, can you take clients on your own? Can you, you know, work there and also have a mobile business? Can you work there and also work at another gym at the same time? Or are they limiting you to only working there? Or do they have some sort of like clause where like you're not allowed to work within a certain radius of the clinic say, for example, you you could only work like at way at the other, like if you're in Toronto, um, you know, say you're in the West End, you're located in Etobicoke, you could only go and work in, I don't know, Milton because, <laughs> because anything else would be too close. You know, for, for those of you who aren't in the Toronto area, that may not mean anything. I don't know what the distance is, but it's far. Let's just put it that way. It's really far. You'd have to like be driving like an hour to, to get out of town in order to be, uh, far enough away that it's, it's, you know, acceptable according to the contract that they'd like to put you under, right? So that's a red flag. A true contractor or self-employed person can work however they want. Like, they can't tell you that you're not allowed to work at another clinic if you're a contractor. That's, that's up to you. So I think you guys probably get the point here. I'm going to link to a few resources in the show notes about this topic, but overall the take-home message here is if you aren't properly designated, it can come back to bite not you, not only you in the butt, but the place that you're working in the butt. Or the clinic might be just taking advantage of you, and that's not right. Nobody likes being taken advantage of. Remember, employees get things like vacation pay and sick days and employer-paid tax benefits and all this kind of stuff. So if you're being treated like an employee, but you're being paid like a contractor, they're taking advantage of you. Now, to be clear, in a lot of cases, it isn't intentional. Like the business isn't like, it's the way that it's always been done. I know this is really common in massage therapy, for example, where, you know, you have these situations where they want to put all these boundaries on you, but they're also pay they also insist that they're paying you as a contractor. Often it's just because that's just the way it's been done, right? So they're not they're not trying to like gouge you. It's just the way that business has always been done, right? But that doesn't make it okay. If you're being treated like a contractor for tax purposes, but have all these restrictions on your on the way that you can work, well, that's problematic. And guess what? There actually have been cases where clinics were reported for this type of behavior and the clinic had to properly register everyone as employees. And it just it caused a big problem. It caused a big problem for tax time. It caused a big problem in other ways as well. And it's not a situation that any of you ever want to be, to be honest, like even if it ends up benefiting you at the end because you end up getting you know, uh, paid holidays and all that, you know, the stuff that the benefits that employees generally tend to get, right? 
um, it's still not a situation you want to be in because it's weird. And also then you end up having restrictions as well, right? If you're paid like an employee, maybe you're used to having certain things be a bit more loosey-goosey because you're a contractor. And now that you're an employee, not so much, right? So so just all to say, make sure you're being designated properly and treated appropriately according to how you are supposed to be designated, whether it's contractor, you know, or non-contractor, like employee. And let's move on from this topic. So yeah, but that's an important one because it has big implications for both your taxes and the taxes of the clinic. So the second thing about taxes I wanted to say is to use proper software and to actually get prepared. Now, even if you have an accountant, you still want to be keeping proper track of your income, your expenses, the taxes you've already paid for the year, um, just all that stuff. You want to be keeping proper records of this stuff. I think that especially if you rent or work at a clinic or you have a, uh, and you have, sorry, a percent split, it's super easy to get lazy with this because you'll be like, oh, the computer system at the clinic knows what I've made. Oh, the accounting program the clinic uses can just pull up the numbers for me, right? That's good enough. Well, not so much. You really do have to have your own proper records. You need to use some sort of accounting software to keep yourself organized and to keep all the numbers properly tracked in, you know, the sort of the correct categories. I'll tell you guys what I'm using personally at the moment. Maybe that's helpful. So I recently moved to Wave Accounting because uh, for my use, it's free other than like um, when I, because uh, I can also use it for payment processing. So there is a fee for the payment processing, but like it's it's pretty standard. I think it's 2.9%, 2.9% plus a few cents. I can't remember what it is right now, but for, for Canada, it's pretty standard in terms of the, the percentage taken. Like it's very standard. Um, but yeah, I end up having all my info in one spot. I have all my client payments. I put my expenses in there. You can even scan in your receipts. Everything's in there. And then the other thing that I do is I just keep a copy of any additional receipts in my email in a designated taxes folder. So if a charity sends me a receipt for tax time, if I have a business receipt, like for instance, my SoundCloud membership where I post all these podcasts, um, I have a program that I use to help sort my mailbox into important and newsletters. There's all kinds of different things that I have in terms of, well, it's not that many, but there's a number of things I have. I put those receipts aside in a taxes folder. So they come tax time, I can find them. You know, they're, they're not, I have to search my whole damn inbox. Like, oh my God, where did I put that bill? It's just, it's all there, you know, it's all there recorded. I've got all the receipts ready to use for tax time. And that's it. It's that, it's really that simple. It gets the job done in my personal situation. So I have all the things that I need. I don't have to go digging in some shoebox somewhere, you know, of all the printed receipts and like the ones that I maybe I, I ran to the Office Depot and I got a I got a thing and it says on it like HP RX 1 2 pack. And I'm like, what the frick does that mean? Because I didn't write it down when I actually bought it. Have you guys ever been in that situation where you're looking at a receipt from six months ago and you're like, I have no idea what this was for? Right. And that's not good for tax time. And you're, it's not like your accountant is psychic and going to be able to figure out what you bought. Either they're going to designate it as office supplies or they might tell you that you can't claim it if you don't know what the heck the thing was, right? Now, for all you health and wellness people who, who work one-on-one with clients, which is the vast majority of you listening to this, you may find the system works completely fine for you. What you could do is you could keep the specifics of which clients paid 
what and saw you for what appointments in your client software as you're, you know, uh, here in Ontario, at least and in most of Canada, you're required to do that by law, right? Clients need to have financial records attached to them. And that's fine. You can keep that in your, your software, like Jane or MindBody or whatever you might use. And then what you could do is you could just pull weekly summaries of how much you made and put that into your accounting software. So you don't have to double, you don't have to do like, not accounting double entry, but you don't have to double enter everything. You don't have to have everything like in mind body or in Jane or whatever, and also in an accounting program. I realized that that would be like unnecessary work. But like I said, what you could do is just take summaries of what you made every week and put that into your accounting software. So you don't have to double, literally re-enter every single client. That's just more work than you need. As long as you have the financial record, as long as you have the record of who paid what somewhere, clearly that you can easily draw it up. That's the most important part. The accounting software is for you, for your records, for keeping track of your money. And the other thing I don't recommend is don't just use an Excel spreadsheet or like write it down on paper. I did that back when I very, very first started. But that's because uh, the office I worked at, remember, this was 2006. It was like super low tech, no computer. Everybody did written, like handwritten receipts um gifts are like everything was handwritten so what I did is I got like an old-fashioned accounting ledger type book and wrote down every single patient I saw and how much money they paid and all that kind of stuff and then I took it home and put it into my computerized accounting program these days you probably don't need to do that I would hope so in 2020 Hopefully you can bring a laptop with you or, you know, put it uh, like use the use wave accounting on your phone, use something FreshBooks, like QuickBooks, whatever it is on your phone and do the entry from there and not have to do the old fashioned paper method. Um, I don't recommend doing that. Just, you know, just keep it, keep it tidy, keep it neat and keep it organized. And the other thing I strongly recommend on this is don't ignore it all until April. Trust me, I have done that. I have done that. Don't, don't, don't be dumb like me. I, I've done barely any bookkeeping at all. And then April comes like this time of year. And I'm like, oh, God, I have to do taxes. And I'm the accountant in our house. So I do my husband's taxes at the same time, which because we're in Canada, you sort of well, and I think in the US, you actually do file together. I think I think that's how it works. Don't don't quote me on that. I'm not an American. Um, but in Canada, we sort of file together information about your spouse or common law uh, partners taxes go on your taxes and vice versa but you're not actually submitting them together that's an aside um but also say i'm the accountant in the family i do our taxes up i take all my husband's forms and all my forms and i put it into the software and i you know look to see where we can have extra savings by him claiming some receipts that which like 100% legal like if you're if you're married there's certain things that you can transfer between between the couple, like from husband to wife or husband to husband or whatever, like you can, you know, certain receipts can be claimed by your partner and not by yourself. Um, but yeah, like just don't don't be stupid like I have been in the past where I don't touch any of my numbers until, you know, like March, right about now. And then I go, oh, no, I don't even remember where half my receipts are. Just just don't do that. Be more organized like I am now. Do your tax, do your, sorry, your financial prep at least once a month. So when it comes tax time, you're not wondering where any of your stuff is. You already have it organized. You're maybe not relaxed, but you don't have to panic. 
And I know it sucks. Trust me. I Especially if you hate data entry. I don't mind data entry, but it does get a bit mind-numbing after a while. But it's just, it's worth it for the peace of mind and the accuracy, okay? So just, yeah, keep, keep it organized and uh, make sure you're recording uh, regularly. And on this topic, actually, I wanted to mention the importance of knowing your numbers in your business. This is very much related, right? It isn't just specific to taxes. This is about knowing how much you're making, what you're projected to be making, and also what you'd like to be making as a goal in the future. Let's be honest, how many of us are actually doing this? Because when I was still massaging, I didn't do that. And I think all of the friends I still have as the, who are massage therapists, the vast majority of them don't do that either. I mean, yeah, you know, I knew how much I was making per client on average because people were booking different appointment lengths, which is a whole other topic for another day. But, you know, so I would know what I was making per client on average, you know, and how many clients I was seeing per week on average. So I had like general numbers. It's not like I had no idea. But unless it was tax time, I wasn't taking that deep dive into the numbers to see how much I was actually making after expenses and tax payments and all that stuff that we need to keep track of as business owners, right? But if you run your numbers regularly, there are actually huge benefits. Number one, it allows you to see where you might be able to earn more. So does it seem like maybe you could squeeze in one or two extra clients? when you actually take a look at your numbers? Or could you start selling some sort of reputable product, something that you you know respect and feel isn't shady? Because <laughs> I realize there's a lot of shady sort of wellness products out there that some of you would be like, no, I'm not selling those in my business. I, you know, wh- whatever side that you fall on, I, this is not shading anybody or shaming anybody. I'm just saying, you know, however you feel about those things, some of you would be totally pro selling products. Some of you would be very anti-selling products. I'm just making it as a suggestion, as a way that you can earn extra income. Or, you know, another way when you look at your numbers is you might go, oh, you know, if I just increase my fees by $5 per like thing, like per appointment time or per whatever, I could make significantly more money. And I think $5 is affordable to my clients, right? So that's one, that's the first thing is that you can see where you might be able to earn more income. Another thing about running these numbers regularly is you can see where you can cut costs. You'll suddenly go like, oh my God, I'm paying for that software I'm just not using. Like, I forgot about that. Or you might end up going like, oh, well, I'm, I have this package from, you know, whoever, whatever, you know, software package it might have been you bought. But I don't need this level. I could actually downgrade to the lower level and save myself 10 bucks a month. Well, that's great. You know, or could you change your banking? You know, I know for some of us, you're kind of stuck because you have to have a small business bank account, da da da. But for some of us, like you could switch to a lower level of account and not have to pay so much, or you could, you know, swap, um, like put a savings account so you can have a little bit of uh, extra income from the a little extra income from the account every month, but I mean, like, it's not it's not a huge amount these days. Savings account aren't, aren't exactly paying a lot these days. But yeah, just different things that you can think about. And you don't tend to think about them unless you're actually looking at your numbers regularly. And another benefit of this is it actually allows you to see how much you're likely going to be paying in taxes so you can set aside the right amount. I know most of us just guess. 
you know, or we go, oh, I'm going to set aside 30% of my income or whatever, you know. But if you're actually running your numbers regularly, you get a really good idea on how much you're probably going to end up paying in taxes. And last but of course least, it allows you to see what the trend is in your numbers and project where you're going to be months from now. You know, are you happy with the numbers? Do you need to somehow find a few more clients? Do you need to do something to change the trend? All that kind of stuff. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a couple of very comprehensive articles about like money and income from my own business coaches. This is the, the publicly available articles. Uh, you know, I'm not going to link you to the stuff that's only available to uh, to the paying clients. But uh, anyway, one of their articles is about how they got out of debt. And another uh, is about uh, learning to set realistic money goals and how to achieve them, but in a mindset of being like intentional about like how much is like the how much is enough for you. You don't just need to like earn and earn and earn, but like what's the right amount that will help you live the lifestyle you want. You know, and both of these are great for learning about money and learning about setting uh, intentional goals and projecting your income and all that. So I'll link both of those in the show notes. Even if you're not in debt, for example, the debt article still has a lot of like really interesting and helpful information about knowing your numbers, projecting, you know, using spreadsheets to uh, look at your numbers, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'll link those in the show notes for you guys. Um, And shout out to... uh, Jason and Caroline Zook at uh, Wandering Aimfully for the for the lovely provided information that I'm going to provide to you guys. And the last thing I will say on this whole taxes topic for we self-employed types is don't forget to actually claim the many write-offs that we can claim. Uh, now let's be clear here. Don't make anything up, please. I said this last time I recorded a podcast on taxes I know it's tempting, for example, because I know people do this, it's tempting to take that receipt you got from a lunch that you, you know, you went out with a friend for lunch and you take the receipt and you want to give it to your accountant and say that it was a business lunch, but, well, it's not, okay? I just, I strongly recommend not doing that, okay? Um But in terms of things you can actually claim legitimately, there is a huge list and the list is changing every year. Don't assume that something that you could claim in a previous year, you can still claim this year and vice versa. Don't don't assume that just because you couldn't claim it in a previous year, you can't claim it this year. Things change all the time. Um, Now, of course, obviously, this list of what you can claim is different in Canada versus the U.S., And it can also differ in different provinces or states, again, depending on local laws. But here's a quick list just off the top of my head of things that you can claim that you may or may not have kind of thought about. Some of them you probably did because they're fairly obvious. Some of them you may not have thought about. Um, Obviously, you can, well, maybe not obvious to some of you, but obvious to, you know, a lot of us, especially if you've been in business for a while, you can uh, claim all supplies you buy specific to your business. Paper, oil, sheets, cleaning supplies, you know, acupuncture needles, like whatever it is that you have to buy. And all your more major purchases, you like computers and desks and chairs and so on, those are generally claimed, at least in Canada, as what we call capital expenses or capital cost. And therefore, what you're doing is you're claiming it as like a partial expense on a depreciating value over year over year. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty on how that works. But if you've ever uh, filed self-employed taxes in Canada, you do know what I'm talking about. Um, But definitely look into that because you should be claiming those things and not claiming them as one-time expenses because that's not how that works. Um, Another thing, obviously, you can claim is your rent. You can also claim your utilities. 
Um, if you own the building, you can claim your property taxes. You can claim your any kind of fees that you paid for your website or uh, professional fees that you might have paid somebody, a lawyer, a web designer, like someone like me. Um, you can claim your domain name renewal fees. You can claim your business uh, name fees. Like if you had to, if you had to register a business name and you're not just running under your own name, you can claim those fees. You can claim uh, professional association fees. You can claim any other services you might use for work, like Spotify, example, for music. Plus here in Canada, and this one isn't just for self-employed people, this is for everybody, you can claim certain medical expenses. Um, and the reason why I mention this for self in this podcast is because most of us who are self-employed do not have any kind of like private insurance, you know, unless your partner does. Now, I'm lucky. My husband has pretty decent uh, insurance. So I do get partial coverage for uh, mental health, for massage, osteopathy, dental, all those type, you know, eye care, all those kinds of things. Um, but you as a self-employed person, you may not have any insurance. And if you don't have insurance, then being able to claim your medical expenses on your taxes and get, you know, a tax rebate from that is very, very helpful. So just remember with, you know, all those things, you can claim them, but also remember that some of them, you can only claim the business portion of it, okay? So for example, if you work from home, you can't claim your entire property tax and like all your bills, right? Obviously you live there too. Only claim the percentage that you're actually using for your business. There's various calculators online that can help you kind of figure that out. I strongly suggest that you look at those. And if your situation is more complicated than, you know, sort of a simple calculation like, oh, I have one room, I use that room for my business. It's pretty cut and dry. I'm only using this percentage of my house towards my, you know, off my home office. If that's fairly cut and dry, then you know, you're probably okay. But if it's complicated at all, like you're going, yeah, but I'm using part of this other room and I'm not sure what percentage that actually should be. And am I allowed to claim part of my cell phone bill and da 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 da. If you're starting to get a little bit like, well, I'm not really sure if I can claim these things. Definitely, definitely, definitely talk to an accountant who understands small businesses and therefore would be an expert on these things, would understand the ins and outs of claiming, uh, you know, claiming all these things on your taxes for self-employed individual. So that's it. In summary, here's our tax episode for 2020. Number one, if you, if you, if you did a TLDR and fast forwarded to the end, here's your summary. <laughs> Number one, make sure you are being designated properly as an employee or a self-employed person so you get paid correctly and your taxes are being taken out correctly and you are paying your taxes come tax time correctly. Number two is make sure you're keeping really good records in accounting software, not just on a piece of paper somewhere, not just in a shoebox somewhere, but actually your own records. Don't just let the clinic, you know, write it down and then you occasionally, you know, look at it. Number three, make sure you're looking at your numbers regularly and doing projections so you know what you're making, what you're likely going to be making what number you'd like to get to, and just so you have a handle on how much tax you're probably going to be paying come tax time so that you're not surprised by the number when your accountant pulls it up or when you pull it up, right? When it comes time to file. And number four is make sure you look into all the various things you can claim. They change yearly and it's just really, really important. Like don't, don't leave money on the table, right? Claim all the things that you can, but make sure you're doing it honestly. 
All right, that's it for this week. Uh, I will be back in one to two weeks with another episode of this podcast. And we are going to be starting a whole series on building your own private practice. So stay tuned for that. And uh, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you, I guess, as a, you know, sort of seeing you, seeing, seeing the, the, the numbers, seeing you guys engaging on social media, chatting with you in my inbox. Yeah, very, very soon. And uh, take care and uh, have a great day. Hey, well, thank you so much for listening today, everyone. I really appreciate your time and the fact that you decided to join me in listening to this episode. Show notes are now available for podcast episodes and they contain links to helpful resources and other information. So please do head over to happylittlebiz.com and check out the reading link. I've got show notes for individual episodes there as well as articles on other topics for building a happy health or wellness business. Also, if you'd like to learn more about me, my background in healthcare and wellness, as well as, you know, what I'm doing with this current business, my website is the best place to do that. And I've also got links to my social media over there if you'd like to follow me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. And again, my website address is happylittlebiz.com. All the information is there. Now, while I got you, I'd like to mention I truly do appreciate it when people leave me a rating and or depending on what you want to do, review over on iTunes. So if you like this podcast, let me know by doing that. Just look up Life Beyond the Massage Table on iTunes and then click that Ratings and Reviews tab to leave your own rating or review or both. Okay, that's it for this week. I'm sure you have other things to do, so I'll let you get to them. Have a wonderful rest of your day and here's to building a sustainable small health or wellness business all on your own terms. Talk to you soon.